giver of the Torah. Amen. It appears you're a Test, test, no. Test. Whoop. Good. Senor, you're up. So, um, tonight I will be covering trapping, slaughtering, skinning, and panning. Um, <coughs> I decided since I had so much to cover, and I didn't know that Mr. Martin also would be teaching tonight, so I'm really glad I did this, to just do more of a topical coverage of everything to give the basic uh, premise of them, rather than to deep dive uh, into the subject. So trapping. Trapping is the forcible confinement of any animal or living thing. Is, isn't that like having a pet? Hmm. Possibly. Hmm. So, applications of so and so, 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 and the Mishkan. So, I found this really interesting, that um, the purpose of them covering the Malkot um, of trapping was because they used the hides in the Mishkan. Um, and the hides were um, where hides were required for the fur and leather coverings of the Mishkan. Uh, the Takash, which, from what I've gathered, is a form of the ram, which is no longer in existence anymore, it's extinct now, but was known for its exceptionally beautiful furs. And then, of course, the ram was known for its hide. Does anybody have Exodus 26, 13 through 14? Come, come. The ten curtains will be a cubit longer on both sides. What is left will hang over on the sides of the tabernacle so as to cover it. Make for the tent a covering of ram skins dyed red, and over that a covering of hides of sea cows. Sea cows. Sea cows. Oh, Ghost manatees. Manatees, exactly. So this is for covering manatees. Um, so I thought it was really cool to have the application of the actual hide where they came into place. Um, does anybody know what a Colozone is? Snail. Snail? Yeah, it's a thing well, that you we don't know from. exactly what it is. It's small fish. Right. It's a rare species of small fish from which the pellet was procured. This dye was also required for the coverings mm. of the Mishkan. I have no clue what part of the covering. I just know that in the uh, cool book that I read um, that it said it was part of the coverings. So I guess that means trapping includes more than just uh, rams. Exactly. So the cool part, yes. Traffic. I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to know why Taylor's saying we don't know. Because we're technically the rabbis aren't sure exactly what animal. Well, that, that, was. Well, that, that was four years ago. Let's get with the program. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have found the snail. It has reappeared, or the small fish, or whatever it is. Rabbi, just go to Tekelatakam and read all about <laughs> everything that happened. We got it. That's why yeah, you see. That's why you see Orthodox. Yeah. That's why you see the Orthodox is yeah. in Israel starting towards the Kelly. Yeah. Really? There's the, there's no, debate. The I think it's not. There the is debate. There's no question about it. But there are Orthodox, halakhically Orthodox people, wearing to Kelly in the district. Is no this a recent finding? Or oh yeah, yeah. Yes. Within the past yes. ten years at least. Within the past ten years at least, if not less four or five years old. So, to cover the actual practical purposes of Zod, I thought it would be interesting since none of us will be trapping a ram or a deer or anything of that sort, especially on Shabbat. Um, thought it would cover the practical purposes of it. Sure. Well, <clears throat> because it applies to any living creature, yes. 
when you have a young boy in your home, like, <laughs> right? um, you know, Dad, Dad, look at the butterfly. Uh, it's Shabbat, Benjamin. Absolutely, let, absolutely. Let that uh, bad boy right? go. Or the bug, you know, the bugs crawling across the driveway. <laughs> Benjamin, you can't kill So, trapping almost any animal is forbidden under a zoo, which is interesting because you start thinking about trapping and what you would literally want to trap on a Shabbat or on any day, but it gets quite simple when you start to think about it. So let's say you own a dog. I own a dog. Anybody own a dog? Yes. So you've probably had your open door, Benjamin's open the door, and all of a sudden, dog's out, right? Uh, it does happen on it a yeah. So a dog escaping from your home, that is a time when you might want to trap it back indoors. Um, and then catching a fish from a pond or a bullfish from an aquarium. Maybe your child wants to pick it up or um, show it to his little friend there, right? Manhandle. So, manhandle. That's why I manhandle. Right. You can't, you can't. So there's two factors of confinement. Uh, the specific act of confinement is what constitutes as a collective <coughs> act of trapping, and also the degree of the confinement, because there's different levels of an actual confinement. Uh, so to what degree must an animal be restricted? So the act of confinement. First one, so there's actually no direct action that's required, which is interesting, because you would think that the act of confinement would be me tying a leash around a dog's head in order to confine it or restrict it. Certainly. This would I guess would fall in line with like the you know the stick underneath the little box and you know that That's one form, it. but actually no action whatsoever is required. So what we're going to cover here is, so let's say I chase an animal over in this corner over here. By me confining it to a specific area, that's also going to be form, a form of trapping. So chasing or fighting an animal into a confined area without touching it is still considered so. Huh. Hunting with animals, which I found um, in the Melko book, it seems as though there are some issues with hunting for sport. Um, rather than hunting for uh, food, okay. hunting for sport uh, seems to be a pretty, pretty large issue. Didn't go into that, but it still be an interesting point. If anybody has any kind, of, anything to, any feedback for that one? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, a trap is not required for so. Um, any means of confinement. So the degree of confinement. Holistically, if it could be retrieved in one grab, uh, you need to consider the size of the animal. So. <clears throat> a dog in an open field, I immediately uh, brought to mind herding cattle. <clears throat> you put cattle in a corral, and that is a confinement. Even though it's a large animal, that huge area is a confinement. Or if you have a fly swatter, or if you have a cup, putting a fly inside of a cup. That's all to. Also, yeah. Um, and then, so there's two primary, loose and then narrow. First one we'll cover is loose confinement. So, loose confinement, the animal is restricted from the natural freedom of movement to which it is accustomed. A uh, wild horse or bull in a large fencing corral or a fly in a room. Not considered trapped if it is able to escape its confinement. Open door or opening to the fence. So, um, one of the interesting things that it pointed out was, let's say you have a wild animal or a, a wild dog, right? And you are in fear that maybe it's going to get hit in the street. So, you bring it into your home. Would that be considered trapping? 
It's not considered trapping if there's a door that is open that would allow the handle to go out. It's one of those small little fences around it to allow you to catch or protect something in that event. Narrow confinement. Got a question over here. Yes. Um, what if you are, for example, you're not necessarily, so it, it was, you were saying there that you're pre pre preventing the animal from its natural, you know, movement. Yeah. Does that count like you're driving down the road, all of a sudden a turtle is in the middle of the road. You mm -hmm. stop your car, you get out, you move the turtle, but you're like you picking it up. Is, there, is, it, is it Shabbat? I did it actually on a Shabbat. Yeah. Which is why I asked the question. It happened. Okay. So is, would that, I'm not is that trapping so? it. It yeah. will be so, or is it carrying? That's the thing. <laughs> it, co it comes to later. Preservation of life. Preservation of yeah. life. This depends life. on what, where you are locked. But would that be considered confinement if that's picked it up? It depends on if it's confinement. So are you, but in that case, it's going to be the carrying because are you putting it in your car or are you just carrying no, it like just, the road? So that's not going to be a trapping or a confinement. So you're going to do that in pieces. Imagine how far you're going. You could, however, stop traffic and scoot it along the way. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd be all right. Depends on how much time you have on your hands. Yeah. But holding it in your hands is not confinement. Right. right. Holding your hands is not good. Okay, that was my question. If you pick it up, you can't put it back down again and push it by the soda. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> for you, but now when you're working out because your biceps are going uh, well, there. Remember, all I remember thinking is that verse of Proverbs Reese where it says a man who treats animals well. Oh, no, I, I, I understand. Know. So I was like, oh, let's move the turtle. Later, it was like, oh, picked up a turtle. <laughs> picked up a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> a turtle Good. always wanted to fly. <laughs> so narrow confinement is pretty interesting. Um, between two walls. And it, I was trying to figure out what the heck it meant by between two walls. So so close to each other that they cast a shadow in the air between them. So I, what I was picturing was I'm in, a, in, the, in an alley. What am I doing in an alley? I'm in a dark alley on Shabbat. I don't really know, but this is what came to mind. So Saving a turtle, exactly. So if I were to try and capture a cat, it's just something that pops in my mind, the only real explanation. Can anybody else think of a, I guess we're two walls and cast a shadow as an example? We'll capture the cat as long as it's not a cat in Israel. Yeah, be, uh, yeah where a fence comes near a, a house. Okay. It's that yeah. So right. your fence good. is going good. across good. next to your house, like a Greg's house, mm -hmm. you know, it's right up on the edge there, so. Good. Um, one doesn't say, let us bring a trap. So when you have uh, have it loosely confined and then call for a trap to fully confine it. Um, I guess if you're trying to trap a dog and you call a friend to grab a leash or something of that nature. Um, there are no corners, crevices, hiding holes. A small area could not have any crevices in which the animal could hide and avoid immediate capture. If it did have crevices that helped avoid immediate capture, it may not be considered halakhically confined. Um, so maybe inside of a uh, aquarium of some sort, this is a lizard. So it would be loosely confined in that space because that would be a natural environment for him that he could avoid immediate capture. Hmm. And then with one swoop. So this is one that Benjamin might be uh, inclined to capture something within a fell swoop. So let's say I had a fly under a cup or a butterfly that I had trapped and I decided if I released it, I could grab it in one swoop. Or if I had, say, a dog in a corner that I could reach out and grab it in, uh, in one, one motion. So just explain real quick on the narrow confinement. So if it's between these two walls, is mm -hmm. it considered confined? It would not be. Only if you are cornered. I would. I guess the way I picture it, if I'm in between two homes, two houses, or I'm in between Greg's fence and his house, and 
I'm backing the animal in there, then at that point, that animal is still entrapped where it would have to squeeze past me, so I'm physically trapping that animal, right? Okay, so is it... But then I guess my thought is, if it has an open end on the other end, then... Right, it doesn't count. If it doesn't count then. Oh, okay. But if, it's more if like I'm dead backing end into an alley or something of that nature. Gotcha, okay. If it's a dead end, wouldn't that be between three walls? Technically, yes, I guess. So. Can't actually be but how do, how do domestic animals, so if you have a dog or a cat as yeah. a pet, I mean, they're they're confined in your home or maybe your backyard, mm-hmm. but that's their normal habitat. So that's not that's I'm assuming that's kind of not within the scope here. Yeah, but if the dog escapes out the front door, now he's outside your door. The only way to get him back in the house is to trap. Interesting uh, question. Or lure. Or a lure. Or a lure, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can always get a treat. I've yeah. never covered anything about trees. <laughs> Stay. Voluntary decision by the animal. Right. I think it's the forceful confinement of that. If the animal comes on its own free will, then I think we would we'll be okay with that. And, just being, and if that's just natural habitat to be in the backyard, right. you can lure it back in there. Or if you leave the gate open and then it comes in there on its own free will. Well, this is my dog. She'll come back when she's home. Exactly. Exactly. So some exceptions to the rule here. Um, harmful insects. So this was really interesting. Uh, yellow jackets and mosquitoes. So yellow jackets, um, you can trap them under a cup because it could inflict harm upon you. Uh, children, hovering mosquitoes, these you could capture because it seems as though they want to protect a small child. You, you don't want to allow a child to be pestered and bit and there are a lot of things, a lot of diseases and bacteria that can come from that. Malaria. Exactly. So killing on Shabbat. We're talking about your child. I'm sure everybody's had a fly in the home or um, maybe your wife has approached you because there is a large bug in the home and of course you want to, to help with that. So some things around that are hornets and wasps. They may be killed in order to protect a small child or an adult who is allergic. But it seems as though if there's any way at all to avoid this, then the obvious answer would be to not kill on Shabbat, but you do have that option. But and you can do it with a fly, right? I mean, a fly. That fly, you're, you're yeah. Shabbat Shalom. Yeah, right with the fly. <laughs> Late more than you take. Not in that case. <laughs> yeah. So one get the, down to sorting. I don't want the list. Yeah. So one we're all uh, familiar <laughs> with. Who's ever been in their uh, sukkah and all of a sudden, there are flies everywhere because you have sweet wine, delicious food. Everybody has experienced that. Or on a on a Shabbat, and you decide, hey, we're bringing the whole family outside. We want to eat our food outside. So they've made a little uh, a little loophole for us here that while eating outside or on a Shabbat, on a Yom Tov or Sukkot, you are able to try it. Or they say you can have a little dish of sweet water, which to me doesn't make sense because you're attracting more animals to come and bother you. But you do have that option to trap it to avoid uh, being pestered by it. Hmm. Um, it's quite interesting. It kind of makes sense. Like when we had um, uh, fruit fly problem, my wife put out like this little jar of like yep. honey or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now they're gone. And then they're not smart enough to figure out how to fly back out again. I that was kind of cool. Yeah, we tried one of those little things. You put all the little holes in yeah, it, yeah, it flies yeah. in there. They never flew in ours, so they were almost. Uh, I wonder if that would even count as trapping, though, because they can still technically fly out. They just don't. <laughs> well, so that was an interesting point. Um, you can 
set a trap, but you need to set it prior to survive. So it can do all the catching it wants to, once you have set it. So it's kind of like the light. You can have a timer to have the light come on, as long as you aren't the one physically turning it on. Or you turn the light on before you should Exactly, exactly. So you can so set, set up your bug zapper yeah. right before sunset. Yeah. <laughs> Better than TV. Better than TV. <laughs> 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 like maybe they used to tape that they stick to it. Depends on what kind of guest zone you're from, what kind of entertainment you're used to. Yeah, so. right. uh, <laughs> caring for animals. Um, one is permitted to feed and walk their dog, even with a leash, even on Shabbat. So um, you're able to sign a form of trapping, so you would be able to take your dog for a walk in order to care for that animal. But you would not be able to kill one. That's where the turtle comes up. Mm -hmm. So you really should have brought the leash there. Because when you're carrying it, the animal can't. I mean, what is it, one one on one? Three on them. So, I mean, how wide is the road? I was not, he was, he was, I took three steps. There, no problem. But I was driving, so. Did you call the traffic? You no. three steps. I, actually, I pulled over, pulled over, and waited. Most of the cars So, well, wait, a wait a second, wait a second. You were driving on Shabbat? Oh, well, you're hosting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> that's 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 I was already, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make up for the fact. So, any questions on trapping? Trapping was pretty, uh, pretty narrow for us because it doesn't really apply. None of us are out catching ram. None uh, of us are out catching fish, really. Kill the bear. Not there very often. But any, any other questions or uh, comments you'd like to make on trapping in general? Ways that we could uh, avoid? Good. Mm -hmm. So, slaughtering, chokai. Shokate. Shokate. Good. Slaughtering. Um, the basic rules of Shokate is that Shema is taking a soul. Therefore, any of the life of a living being by any method is Shokate. Whether this is accomplished by poison, drowning, crushing, asphyxiating, electrocuting, or actually slaughtering. Mm -hmm. So, one may not shake an insect from a towel or into a toilet and certainly cannot flush it. One may not step on an insect, thereby crushing it and causing death, and one may not spread poison or spray insecticide to kill an insect. And the insecticide, although you may spray insecticide and it may take time, or let's say you have a pesky rodent and you set out the poison for them, and you know they're not going to die immediately, even if they die after Habala, it would still be the act of killing because of the intention. Right? Isn't that cool? Is this only if you said this on Shabbat? What if you did it before Shabbat? Well, no problem. Exactly. So it's if you do it before, you're good to go. It's just the act of doing it on Shabbat for the intention of killing. Okay. Yeah. So you're good. You, you know, he hasn't been caught Monday through Friday in your trap, and he decides to come out on Saturday. It's his problem. It's his problem. It's his problem. May God be with you. <laughs> The whole the point here that uh, we're gathering is that it's the intention of doing it, <coughs> the physical action of doing it on Shabbat. Um, you know, we've covered a lot with like tying, uh, tying a knot. You do it prior to, you're okay. Um, point <sighs> causing mortal in in injury. Mortally wounding a healthy living creature is a malakot of Shabbat. Even if the creature does not die until after Shabbat. Killing a mortally ill animal. Um, so it is questionable whether killing a mortally ill or wounded animal is a malakot of Shabbat. It is not actually permitted. So 
what I'm thinking here is a ox in a ditch. It's okay to preserve life that will live. So if your neighbor's ox is in a ditch on Shabbat, it would be okay to save that animal to keep it from dying. But if you have an animal that is going to die, that's mortally ill, you would have to leave it until after Havdalah. It did reference that you could get a non-Jew to help you. Right. But that, no, but that actually is important because um, so when you look at the Melon Code, uh, they are, even though technically non-Jews are not covered by Shabbat, it's it's discouraged to right. getting a non-Jew to do something for you on Shabbat. And, and in some cases, it's borderline prohibited. I mean, it's like, so that actually shows a leniency there, believe right. it or not. Well, and you think about saying, uh, you may not do it your neighbor, your maidservant, or right. your slave, any of that. So. Killing almost any creature is considered shepate. Unlike the Malco of Sod, in which there are different block distinctions between different species, the Malco of Shepate applies to almost all living creatures of all living species. The Talmud states that killing even the tiniest insect is the equivalent to killing an elephant. Taking life, taking life is what I gather from that. So there are exceptions, and probably the last thing you would ever think of. So, lice! Lice is the only <laughs> animal that is actually um, allowed to be killed. So lice and nits, which I had to Google, is actually the egg of lice. Um, those may be killed. They're a lower form of animal life because they thrive on unsanitary conditions and are unlike any other higher forms of animal life. Like life or so you, then you move on to life threatening, same as in trapping. Uh, you want to consider whether or not you could be harmed physically. So. Insects that are pestering you are not permitted to be killed. However, if there is a life-threatening animal, you submit to eliminate the threat. Creature may be even killed, even if it is not presently pursuing any person, because in your presence in the vicinity is a threat. So a snake in the backyard. If you see a copperhead in your backyard on Shabbat, and although you plan to go back inside, you would still be or you would still be um, allowed permitted. Thank you. Allowed to. Uh, kill this animal because let's say your child runs out there later on that day you would not have the ability to know whether or not that snake would be in your uh, vicinity. Um, not life threatening but aggravating bees may not be killed unless they present danger to adults with allergies and should be trapped whatever possible. So it, it really does go back to the preservation of life uh, if you have these you know, other dangerous illnesses to actually be stung by a bee. So, okay, so rabid dog Obviously, rabbit comes into the you know the backyard. Bam! Done. We're done with the dog. Hands are clean. Old yeller, right we're, there. We're right. good. Can you but, Joe. but the but you know old yeller doesn't qualify. They let him lose, then killed him. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, they but a dog. The yes. dog from, they shot him. The dog from down the block. It's obviously a neighbor's dog. <coughs> it, it, it may be friendly. It may be not. Can't trap the dog. Can't kill the dog. Gotta feed it. Yeah. <laughs> Carry for animals. Yeah, this is true. Okay, I got it. Causing bleeding or contusion. So this is gonna go back to um, blood being the life source. Soul soul of life. Interesting the Malco Shakate is possible without killing a living creature. Inflicting a minor bleeding wound is also showcased even though the animal or person still remain very much alive. Uh, deliberately pricking a finger or removing the scalp causing bleeding. 
acti avoid activities that can cause bleeding. Um, <laughs> brushing your teeth with a dry brush was one of the uh, examples. Uh, uh, picking your, if you're known, or if, you're, if you know that your gums bleed easily, picking a toothpick, that would be another thing you would want to, to avoid there. Pulling a loose tooth. Pulling a loose tooth, yes. Pete does it all the time. Yeah, so why causing bleeding is a Malkoth case? Malkoth. Malkoth? Thank you. So blood is the soul. Torah regards the blood as a form of life itself. Therefore, drawing blood from the body of a living being is, to some degree, equivalent to taking the soul of that living being. So bruising is the same. Um, sudden impact. You and your buddy are fooling around and you punch him. You have now ruptured blood vessels and are causing a actual bleeding underneath the skin, and therefore you're causing a, a bleeding wound. Uh, so we must be careful not to start a person. Um, so we do not bring forth blood. What does that do with disciplining children? What does that do with disciplining children? First, you would need to know if your child has an iron deficiency and is prone to yeah, uh, bruising. Um, Why are you hitting your kid that way? Why are you I'm just wondering about some people are hypothetically about this. Hypothetically, it could theoretically for for a bruise. I mean, theoretically, you, I mean, I've been doing this for 34 years, years. <laughs> and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. What? Bark soap in a sock. Bark soap in a sock. I was thinking wooden spoon. Probably got a little bruise. Maybe a well. Minor bleeding. So it is permissible to apply pressure to a bleeding wound in order to slow or stop bleeding, even if the wound is not life threatening. Profuse bleeding, permissible to take any course of action necessary to stop the bleeding. Found this interesting that you would be able to telephone a professional for help. You can be able to call an ambulance because it is for preservation of life. If I have a mortal wound that is bleeding out, that I have a gushing wound. You will be able to call for help, professional help, uh, in that case, which is really uh, interesting. So now we're going to move on to skinning, a mafshit. The basic premise of skinning is after slaughtering, the animal hide must be removed in order to process it into leather, parchment, or fur. Uh, in Mishkan, the skins of the ram and the fur of the Takash were removed in this very same way. Uh, skin the hide from the body of an animal is the Malako, Malaka of Mashi. I've been playing around with it a little bit at this point. Mm. So it applies to any animal that has a hide, including fish and birds. So examples are uh, removing the skin of raw chicken. It's important to note that it's the state of the animal. Um, pulling apart the natural layers of the leather, so a belt or a shoe. Um, or, and it says, however, if the layers were originally separate strips of leather that were glued together, peeling them apart is also koryah, or tearing. So, removing the skin of cooked fish or chicken is not considered much because the cooking effectively causes the skin to lose much of its natural adhesion to that flesh. Um, and then it, it gave the example of once an animal is cooked, it's no longer considered an animal. It's now considered food for consumption. So that's where the, I was thinking about it. If I'm eating a chicken leg and it has a skin on there, am I actually skinning that animal or tearing at that point? And the answer is no, because at the point at which it is cooked, 
it is no longer containment that is now a food product. That's cool. No concerns there. That was really an easy one. So skinning was actually That was it on skinning. That was it. Literally. There were only like four pages on skinning. Um, Joseph has a really interesting and very uh, concise book on the Monaco. Yes. It puts it in terms that I can understand. He, he only has it because Greg showed it to me. It's a brilliant book and it just breaks everything down it's so good so so for you that um, even, even I was able to understand. for regular people. Um, so tanning. Tanning was one that was actually quite interesting. So you think of tanning, tanning is a process of curing, uh, curing, preparing the, the hives, right? But it goes into so many more things as far as like food preservation and everything. So practicality of ma'abad, ma'abed, tanning was required to prepare the hives of the rams that were used for the coverings of the Mishkan. <coughs> so raw hides are highly perishable. Has anybody ever seen a raw hide or helped prepare one? Sung the sun. Actually, just you have seen a hide. Do you recall the uh, the holster shop we went to in Buffalo? Oh, that's right. They're huge, yeah. huge hides. They're very, very rough. Uh, and they're they already been tanned, hadn't they? I'm sorry. Had they already been tanned? They had already been tanned. They had not been like prepped, dyed, and all that. But, but they, they were, were tanned. Mm-hmm. Huh. They're very, uh, very rigid. They're not the kind of leather we think of with shoes and belts. They're, they're very, very raw. So uh, if you don't actually prepare them, if you don't go through the curing process, they will uh, decompose at a very, very high rate. So the process of uh, preserving the hides and transforming them into leather is called tanning. Three basic steps: curing, tanning, and finishing. Curing. Small prep for those. Um, covering the hides with salt or by soaking them in a brine solution, uh, dehydrates the skin and thereby, thereby inhibiting, inhibiting the decay. Salting may be the first step in preserving the hide, but it's also the full fledged malaka of mabad. Um, salting is what they use because they didn't have refrigerators. So, salting was what they used for preservation of the meats they're going to be eating. It draws the moisture from whatever you put it, for, put it on. Um, tanning after being thoroughly cleaned of hair and excess flesh, the hides are soaked in successfully stronger and more potent tanning solutions, sometimes four weeks, until the hides are completely cured. Hides are then stretched in order to straighten and flatten out the warps in the skin that are part of this natural shape. So didn't you teach uh, the, the cleaning off of the hair and excess mm-hmm. flesh and all that? Smoothing? Uh, I think. Is that what it was? I did. You did that? And there's actually like a difference. Um, I think tanning may be the one that that affects. Is it tanning the one that affects like your your fur coat? Because like there's like if you do one thing, it's it's hair on a living animal. No, it was mine actually. It was the the combing. The The shearing. Shearing is hair on a living animal. But you did smoothing. I think it's you're, You're actually smoothing off the hide to get it to where it can be tanned. Yes. But I think also, well, I think that the, one the of the most... The removal of the hairs. Yeah, off of the dead okay. animal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So working with leathers. And this is one interesting to think about on Shabbat. You think you don't want to work on Shabbat. You wouldn't want to be shining your shoes on Shabbat. So Making, a holster. Making a holster. Making a holster. Preparing for Shabbat, you want to have the nice shiny shoes. So uh, polishing or oiling leathers. 
Um, so Malkat of Mabai can apply to thinner leather as well as raw hides. Um, oily or old leather shoes, upholstery, boots, gloves, old leather. Um, Similarly, the use of leather preservatives is also Mabai, so that can apply to the shoes. So um, you need to do that on the prep tip. What's that? Can you do it on the prep tip? Absolutely. So inserting a shoe tree into a shoe is fine because you would assume, right, I, I thought the same thing. You, you, <laughs> you assume that the shoe already has its current shape and therefore you're okay because it has the current shape. So you just keep it. Right. Where you run into issues is let's say you have you find an old pair of shoes. That's why you're hunting for a pair of old shoes on Shabbat. But you have an old pair of shoes that has now curled up, dried, cracked. By putting that shoe tree in there, we were now trying to bring it back to a new shape, and therefore that would not be permitted. Better to wait. Better to wait. <laughs> Obviously, if they've been waiting long enough. Yeah. <laughs> What's another day? So what interesting that they covered in tanning was food preservation. And it comes from, if you're using the salts to preserve the hides, then the preservation of food starts coming to the curing of the foods or the pickles. So, since the act or process of preserving an item of any kind to prevent it from spoiling, one might deduce quite reasonably that any method of preserving perishable food is also considered mabad. Kind of says that, that mabad does not apply to food because it does not entail preservation of a permanent item of use. Hmm. But they put they build some fences around that, so it was kind of contradictory when they were, uh, in the book. It said that um, you sh the act of preserving it from spoiling, but then they went back to say that food was not for permanent use. So I think they built some fences around that to keep you from having the appearance of preserving. So pickling and salting. Uh, so that's why I tried to make multiple slides so I didn't get that small. So pickling, one may not put fresh cucumbers into a pickling solution. <laughs> right. So. What about a, I can't remember the name of it, uh, a quickle. A quickle? Yeah, exactly. A quickle. It takes like 30 minutes and you can have pickles for a cucumber salad. Not allowed. Um, salting foods, as explained earlier, this is not me even. The first step with canning is curing, which requires covering the skin with a layer of salt. Uh, because of this, the sages prohibited sprinkling salt on some foods and vegetables as well. As you're about to eat it. Put salt on it. Getting to that because that was my concern. Yeah. Well, I, maybe I like to have a little salt in my cucumbers. Um, so it seems to me it's the appearance of placing the salt on the food, um, the act of appearing as though you're preserving something. Um, so salting a um, single piece to draw out this moisture. If your intentions are to draw the moisture out, then you are intending to preserve. Um, salting a few vegetables at a time. Uh, even if merely for flavor, that would not be uh, permitted. So, one cucumber, salted, can't do that. You can. That you can. Oh, it's I can. Multiple items on a plate uh, is the is the issue. Yeah. It's basically, so, it's like you you're gonna eat it right away. You have to eat it. Right you're right. Gonna so back. I line up the cucumbers. I salt the first one, eat it. Yes. But they could be on the yes. same plate. You can't. You could have it in Five your hands and salt it, okay. or on an napkin, or on a separate plate. But you could not be salting the so entire. So pick up the first. Just dump the salt in the plate and then dip it. In well, the no, salt. If, if it's your exactly. plate, if it's your plate, yeah, that's okay. If it's the serving plate, you can't salt the people. Okay. All right. All right. I, I, I'm I'm all right. That's exactly right. Maybe that was it. 
I was wondering about that. You can uh, your own plate of food. I mean, there's there's a whole lot of leeway yeah. because you know one of the biggest blessings of Shabbat is eating. Is eating. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's not you know shoot us in the foot here. Um, just don't grind the pepper. Just don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then back to the pickle here. They're on the very bottom. No, they're making cucumber salads. Why, why is the cucumber salad different from the other salads? Cucumber is something that it's is intended to be pickled, and therefore, by making a uh, pickle, you are putting it in a vinegar or something of that sort to turn it into a preserved. Yeah. Um, for minutes of salting vegetables on um, there are four separate conditions uh, under which salt and vegetables is permitted. Um, if it is not ordinar ordinarily pickled in its present form, um, the salting is done one at a time. So, like Colby said, if you have a little dish of salt, you just want to dip in there one at a time, good to go on that. Um, things that are cooked, so you're not going to pickle or preserve something that's already cooked, so you can go okay there. And what or other ingredients are added. So if you make a dressing, you can put all sorts of things in there. The intention is not to preserve, it's just to dress. With the salt water on Passover, it happens to be Right. So in that case, then, um, french fries would be fine because it's cooked. You're not pickling it anyway. Right, exactly. French fries are pretty good. Well, not only that, <laughs> again, if you've got your plate full of french fries, that's, that's your plate. So that was the quick topical version of um, the pan. Some of the practical applications that were really helpful. Right. Cool.